The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather on this 18th Sunday of Pentecost here at Marsh Chapel on the banks of the Charles on this glorious fall New England day. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as university chaplain for community life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away this week, but looks forward to being back with us next week. I also bear words of introduction of our preacher this morning, the Reverend Dr. Victoria Hart Gaskell, Minister for Visitation here at Marsh Chapel and an elder in the New England Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. Welcome, Victoria. Dear friends, let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always precede and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather week by week here at Marsh Chapel, as we begin together in worship, we turn our hearts and minds to prayers of confession, of repentance, of turning again to God from the mistakes of the week, from the turnings away, from the brokenness that resides within, that God may heal and restore. And so we pray this morning as the choir sings the traditional Kyrie. Dear friends, having confessed our sins, we are assured that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the second book of Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served as Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, 
and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, he came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from Paul's second epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. <clears throat> Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this, and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 66 with the antiphon. joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, because all of your great power, your enemies, cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let the ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, and yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. 
let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri in the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Glory to you, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw, to them, saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Every spring, when I was a child, right through high school, our mother would dose my brother and me with our spring tonic of cod liver oil. It came in a tube that was colored a sort of sickly green-gray-blue, and on the tube was a line drawing of a fish balanced on its tail with a distressed look on its face no doubt because of the spigot drawn protruding from its belly, dripping oil. 
The fish's distress was nothing compared to ours. Our mother squeezed out two healthy dollops of oil, mixed each with water, and we drank our glasses down. The taste was vile, and it lasted a long time, even after teeth brushing. My brother and I never did know just why we were subjected to this challenge to our comfort and filial obedience. Our spring tonic was good for us, it was what we did, and that was that. It turns out that cod liver oil is actually good for human beings. Rich in vitamins A and D, it may also help with inflammation and other health issues. And back in the day, it was given all over the country to help prevent rickets, a softening and weakening of children's bones that often led to deformity and ongoing issues. So even though it was a challenge in the short run, my brother and I did reap benefits from our spring tonic. And I and my brother still did not give cod liver oil to our children. The word that informs our preaching here at Marsh Chapel this semester is health. Perhaps not coincidentally, our own Dr. Sandro Galea, Dean of the Boston University School of Public Health, has recently published a book. It is entitled, Well, What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health. His own experience as a, as a physician is as one who has practiced medicine internationally and with various populations. As an epidemiologist, one who studies how diseases spread, he has researched and taught at the University of Michigan and Columbia University before he came here to Boston University as the youngest dean of a school of public health in the country at the time of his appointment. In addition to this experience, his book is also informed by two facts. One is that the biggest concern of the American electorate in the 2020 presidential election is access to health care. The other fact is that Americans spend more on health care than any other nation, and we experience increasingly lower outcomes in relation to costs than any other peer nation, and in some areas than many other nations, period. Galea's book, Well, is a foundational text, full of interesting stories, great quotes, fascinating history, and thought-provoking science presented in layperson's terms. In it, he writes about health from a public perspective, a consideration of health as a public good, in which the health of the individual is recognized as dependent on the health of the whole. Galea argues that our current cultural focus is on individual decision-making and health care, the insurance, doctors, medicine, and surgery that come into play when a person is already sick and that is overwhelmingly concentrated toward the end of a person's life. He posits that we have neglected or ignored the public community infrastructure that promotes health itself throughout human life. 
So we deprive ourselves and others of the increased opportunities and possibilities for a richer life for everybody that come with public health goods. The titles of the chapters in Well provide a broad outline for the co components of the infrastructure that Galea promotes for our consideration of health as a public good. I'm going to read them now, there are 20 of them, and invite you to note any of them for your later consideration that surprise you as being part of health for either its support or its detriment for both personal and public health. The past, money, power, politics, place, people, love and hate, compassion, knowledge, humility, freedom, choice, luck, the many, the few, the public good, fairness and justice, pain and pleasure, death, values. Interestingly enough, with some allowance for differences in context, our Hebrew Bible lesson this morning illustrates some of the complexities involved when we consider some of these chapter titles as naming the elements of an infrastructure that shapes health. Naaman is a great man, commander of the King of Aram's army in what is present-day Syria. The King of Aram holds Naaman in high favor for his successful military victories, given to Aram over Israel by, oddly enough, the God of Israel. But in spite of his military might, Naaman suffers from leprosy. This may or may not have been Hansen's disease, what we think of as leprosy, but could have been one of the other noxious skin conditions of the time. These may not have caused Naaman to be shunned, but they were almost certainly disfiguring and inconvenient, if not painful. A young Israelite girl, taken prisoner in a raid by Aram against Israel, was made to serve Naaman's wife. She tells her mistress about the Israelite prophet residing in Samaria, which was a region in central Israel, now part of the West Bank. This prophet, she says, can cure Naaman's leprosy. His wife tells Naaman, Naaman tells his king, and his king sends a letter to his vassal, the king of Israel, to smooth Naaman's journey. Naaman is a very wealthy man and expects his wealth to smooth his way and pay for his cure, and he packs accordingly. At the time, one silver talent weighed 75 pounds and was worth $6,000 in today's money. Naaman takes 10 of them, 6,000 shekels of gold that were worth even more, and 10 sets of garments worth a significant amount on their own. His entourage consists of servants, horses, and chariots, consistent with his high status. He sets out for the king of Israel. 
Meanwhile, as if he does not have enough trouble being a vassal to an overlord, the king of Israel takes the letter from the king of Aram as a demand for an impossibility and as a thinly veiled attempt to renew the conflict between Aram and Israel. Elisha, the man of God, the successor to the great prophet Elijah, the prophet with the cure for leprosy, steps in. He calms the king of Israel and tells him to send Naaman to him, Elisha, not with Naaman's cure as the first priority, but so that he, Naaman, will know that there is a prophet, Elisha, in Israel. When Naaman finally reaches Elisha, he feels insulted, becomes enraged, and leaves. He is going back to Aram. Then his servants step in. They calm him down and persuade him to wash in the Jordan. Naaman washes seven times in the Jordan and is cured of his leprosy. He returns to Elisha and in front of all his company acknowledges the God of the prophet, the God of Israel, as the only God in all the earth. A number of the pieces of Galea's infrastructure are at play in this story. The past has set the stage. Naaman's high status and wealth, his marriage and servants have already been achieved, and he has developed leprosy. The conflict between Aram and Israel has brought him the young Israelite girl as a servant. Politics certainly plays a part in the interwoven relationships that involve and surround Naaman. Power and money are there in Naaman's sense of entitlement to certain treatment and in, in his assumption that money will secure his cure. Without the knowledge of the prophet given to Naaman by his wife's servant girl and his wife, Naaman would have had no idea that a cure might be possible. Naaman has the freedom to make two important choices. He goes to Elisha and he allows himself to be persuaded to wash in the Jordan but he did not choose to contract leprosy, and his cure is brought into possibility mostly by the choices of other people. Naaman does not come to his health alone, and if any of the pieces of this infrastructure had been different, if Naaman had had no knowledge, no support, no choice because of no power or wealth or freedom or the support of those around him for whatever reason, Naaman's health would be compromised to the extent that he would still have leprosy and his life would as well have less opportunity and possibility to that extent. A number of the pieces of Galea's infrastructure are at play in our gospel account as well. By this time in history, the leprosy in this story is likely enough to be Hansen's disease, as lepers in Jesus' time were shunned by all, including their families, friends, and the religious community. They suffered a living social and cultural death in life, as well as the looming death from the disease. There was also in that time a general public consensus that if one suffered the misfortune of illness or disability, one must have done something wrong and probably something sinful. In this context, 10 lepers come to Jesus and beg for his help. 
He tells them to go and show themselves to the priests who are the arbiters of social and ritual cleanliness in their power. As they go, they are healed of their leprosy. And as Jesus points out to his disciples, only one of them comes back to praise God. And that one was not just a foreigner, but a Samaritan. The past is at play in this story. The lepers are already sick. The prejudice against persons who are ill and Samaritans is well established. Compassion also enters the picture. In Luke, Jesus has already extended his healing beyond Israelites to heal the servant of a Roman centurion and a man from the country of the Gerasenes. And he extends healing to the Samaritan leper as well. While the lepers did not have the choice to become sick, had limited freedom, and probably had little money or power, they choose to follow Jesus' direction. People also are a consideration. While shunned by the rest of society, the lepers had created their own sort of community, even including a Samaritan. Knowledge plays a part as well. The lepers recognize Jesus and know him as a person who can help them even heal them. And again, if any of these pieces of health infrastructure had been missing, no knowledge, no support to bring the lepers to this point, not compassion from Jesus, but blame for the lepers' poor choices or their morality, the lepers' health would be compromised to the extent that they would still have leprosy, and their life would as well have less opportunity and possibility to that extent. Fast forward to our own time and place. The elements of Galea's health infrastructure that are present in our morning's biblical texts are still with us. And the knowledge we have gained about the causes of and challenges to health has exponentially increased. And now the realities and complexities of a globalized world have expanded the infrastructure elements present in the biblical stories and have brought in all the other elements as well, all 20 of them. So now all these health infrastructure elements are at play and their import for health, for good or ill, have increased the challenges to a staggering degree, not just for individuals, but for the collective human race and for the whole of the planet as well. In particular, while people in biblical times may be excused for blaming people with health issues for poor choices or moral laxity, our knowledge no longer allows us to blame or admire individuals or groups for individual poor or good health. Too many choices were already made for them in the past or in the present, sometimes without their knowledge or consent. Ask the people of Flint, Michigan. These include to whom they were born, where they lived as children, the wealth or poverty of their families, the kinds and qualities of foods that were available to them growing up, the level of pollution in their homes, communities, and environment, the political decisions made on their behalf, whether these decisions were in their best interests or not. With all of these elements of health infrastructure, 
having irreversible effects for good or ill on their health. Likewise, in a globalized world, the health of the individual is dependent on the health of all other people and the health of the planet. Germs, viruses, plagues, and epidemics know no boundaries and are no respecter of persons, as we have learned to our cost over the last at least 30 years. The global climate change that threatens the health of everyone's earth, air, and water, if left unchecked, threaten public ill health and thus individual ill health on a scale previously unimaginable. There is still room for individual choice when it comes to personal health. And in the present day, this is increasingly limited by the choices of others and by the collective choices we make as communities, nations, and the human race. Here I would like to lift up in particular two of Galea's elements of public health for further consideration. One is compassion, which Galea defines as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, together with a desire to, alle to alleviate it, something that links our engagement with the infrastructure that shapes our health to the values that shape our, our conscience. He quotes Martin Luther Jr. King's statement that, compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice that produces beggars needs restructuring. It is this kind of compassion to which Jesus inspires us in his call for non-judgment, in his call to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, in his call to resist injustice and evil. The second element for consideration is values. Galea notes that we invest our energies and resources in health care and ignore improvements to the infrastructure that will promote our health throughout our lives. This means that we have not embraced health as a value worth pursuit and protection, nor do we address the forces that actually produce health. He raises the question, what does it mean to value health, not just as an individual issue, but as a collective public value? Because if the public debate continues to focus solely on health care, on individual choice, doctors, medicine, and surgery, our health as a public and as individuals will continue to worsen. And we will continue the pattern that has made our health our health worse than that of all our peer countries. To embrace health as a collective value, in fact, means that we embrace compassion. Compassion that reveals how the suffering of individuals connects with the infra infrastructure that produces or denies our health. I would like also, in conclusion, to include an infrastructure element that Galea does not include because he was not writing this sermon. That element is faith. Faith in opportunity, faith in possibility, faith in human courage and compassion, faith in God. 
The challenges to our personal and collective health can seem daunting, not least because in this, our time and place, our responses to meet these challenges, especially as Christians, look to be countercultural and against great odds. But we do not respond alone. In the Lowell lecture given by Gary Dorian that Dr. Jessica Chica mentioned last week, he also said that he was glad to be living in a time of mass movements and demonstrations once again, where hundreds of thousands of people are beginning to organize, plan, protest, and advocate once again, not just for themselves as individuals, but for the public good, even to a global scale. So we would have plenty of company against the odds. We might even be able to create a new culture of health for all people and for the planet. To do this, as our biblical stories this morning remind us, we can consult with the prophet and be told what to, to do. We can ask Jesus for mercy, and he will tell us what to do. And both of them will tell us the same thing as to what to do first. They will tell us, go. And we will find, as did Naaman and the Samaritan leper, that our faith is in our going. And that it is when we go that we are healed. Amen.
seated. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and mind to prayer and leave our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude or posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Knowing the one in whom we trust, and with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us, we offer our prayers for the church, the world, and all in need. I will end each petition with the Lord in your mercy, and their response is, hear our prayers. O oh God, you promised your church, if we die with you, we will also live with you. If we endure, we will also reign with you. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Strengthen us to believe your gracious promises. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Great are your works, O Lord, and we delight in the wonders and majesty of creation. At the earth bring forth in fruit Renew your creation so that all creatures are sustained and nurtured. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The heritage of nations belongs to you, and your spirit fills the earth. Bless presidents, prime ministers, and chancellors, lawmakers, judges, governors, and county officials so that they reflect your faithfulness and uprightness in their work for the people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. You wash us and we are made clean. In your compassion, immerse all who are sick and suffering in your care. Heal us, even when there may be no cure, and give us thankful hearts. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayers. You call a people to be your own, and yet you have shown limitless love and mercy to people of every nation. Open our hearts so that, like you, we welcome the stranger in our midst. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. With love and thanksgiving, we remember those who have died in you. Give us certainty 
to trust the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Trusting and delighting in you, we commend all our lives into your loving hands. We offer these prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. And as our Sa Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We give day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For time the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that the chapel offices and indeed the university will be closed tomorrow in recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, and to make things even more fun, we are moving uh, the university's regular class schedule of Monday to Tuesday. So Tuesday will be a BU Monday for classes, but not for Marsh Chapel programming. So you should expect our regular Tuesday chapel programming here at Marsh Chapel on Tuesday. But students, please follow your Monday schedule of classes. Next Saturday is our fall semester study retreat beginning at 8.30 in the morning here at Marsh Chapel. For more information and to register for that, see the chapel website at bu.edu chapel. We have regular periods of meditation, table fellowship, and plenty of time to get studying done for papers and midterms and all of the other things going on academically here in the middle part of the semester. 
Also next Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the steps of Marsh Chapel, the inner, our very own Inner Strength Gospel Choir will be performing a brief concert. Again, that's at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday as part of Family and Friends Weekend here at BU. Just show up. Uh, there's no charge for that, and we look forward to seeing you there. The following Saturday, October 26th, our Marsh Chapel Choir will be offering their fall concert, uh, performing Haydn's Mass in B-flat major, the Schopfungsmesse, Beethoven's Symphony No. 4 in B-flat major, and Beethoven's Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage. That's 8 p.m. here at Marsh Chapel on Saturday, October 26th. For all of our upcoming services and uh, programs and for the opportunity for online giving, we invite you to take a look at the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Augustus O. Hill's setting of the traditional spiritual, Fix Me, Jesus. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
creator of the universe, who washes, cleans, and heals us of our existential afflictions, use these gifts for your divine hospitality, that we may wash, heal, and clean as your hands and feet. Through the Christ, who is our great healer. Amen. beloved let us go from this place in peace to go in faith to move towards health for ourselves and for all the world and for the planet in the name of that God who makes us who loves us who keeps us in everything amen <laughs> 